All right. Well, thanks for clearing it up. I'll, I, uh, let's, I don't have any other questions, Your Honor. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., Bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support and high performance all backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at JavaScriptJabber.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at javascriptjabber.com slash Rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 153 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have Joe Weems. Hey everybody. Hey Joe Neal. Yo, yo, yo. Coming at you live from this refreshing beverage. <laughs> Jameson Dance. Hi friends. Dave Smith. Ahoy. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Just want to remind you to go check out devchat.tv slash kickstarter to support the shows and my Rails videos. We also have a special guest this week. That's Amy Knight. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly, Amy? Sure. I have been programming for about two and a half years. I graduated from a boot camp about eight months ago, and I have been working at a company called Message Systems in Baltimore, Maryland since. I think Jameson's head will explode if you don't say something about figure skating. Yeah, <laughs> you left out part of it. Okay, so I did spend most of my life prior programming as a competitive figure skater, and then I also did a lot of coaching in college, so that was really a passion for most of my life, and I say that this is now my new passion. I can totally see that career transition, you know. It's like, <laughs> all right, well, what's the natural follow-on to figure skating? I know. <laughs> I'll go program JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> definitely uh, not a typical progression there. So what did you learn in figure skating that's helped you as a programmer? So I think that's actually interesting to note because when I was kind of playing around with programming, one of my old coworkers, uh, we were just talking about kind of the traits that he thinks are needed to be successful. And definitely one thing in skating that just drove, you know, was driven home with me is the persistence. And I think with programming, it's probably very similar because you have a lot of failures. Um, you really need to like celebrate the victories. Those like victories don't necessarily always come easy. So it's all the persistence from skating. <laughs> Absolutely. I thought you were going to say triple axles. <laughs> <laughs> I also think kind of on a different note, too, I think it's a really good balance. I'm still really, really into being active and physically fit. So it's really good balance, just kind of like using up your physical energy and then also using up your mental energy. So I kind so, of think they're like very opposite and they really complement each other well. Do you find that you're a better developer when you're physically active and kind of physically exhausted? Or, or I guess exhausted is the wrong word. When you've used <laughs> your physical energy is what you said. Uh, yes, definitely. I run every morning like four and a half miles before I come to work. Oh, wow. And <laughs> I can't imagine not doing that. I think it's like a good way to start the day. And then there's just always there's a ton of research about how it's beneficial to your brain to exercise. So, Man, I am a fatty. 
<laughs> so, um, I got a question. You've got a blog, it looks like, yeah? <laughs> yes, I do. As with a lot of things, I guess when you start working, um, kind of falls behind a little bit, but I do. <laughs> okay. So what are your thoughts on, like, tell me a little bit about that. Is writing something that you enjoy? Like, what is it that influenced you to do? It looks kind of like a micro blog. Maybe I'm just not <laughs> seeing the full page. Oh, I got, okay. Sorry. I, I, I didn't know how to get to the full page. It looked like it was just the first paragraph. Oh, but now okay. I see, now I see the full pages. Um, I think, you know, as I was starting out, I was kind of, I was in uh, Georgia when I was first really learning to program. So, there's not a huge community there, and that was just kind of my way of experimenting with things, and I've tried to keep it up as I can. So I, I do enjoy writing, and I enjoy like the community aspect of the development community. So where were you at when you decided that you were interested in programming, and what kind of sparked that? It's kind of it's a very long story. I'll try to keep it somewhat short. So after college, I stopped coaching and I was working at an advertising agency and they, I worked with some developers there, just always noticed that we just couldn't seem to get the work out the door because there was such a shortage. And then kind of just kept going on to like these different marketing roles where I was playing around with like expression engine sites or WordPress sites and just I did like the project management role and one day just really got fed up with asking over and over and over again to make like these simple changes, like update our address or because the company had moved and just decided to like dig in and start trying to make these code changes myself. And then I'm not sure my employers ever actually knew this, but I thought it was really fun to make changes to the site while no one was looking. So I'd be like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and I would mess around with um, like some CSS or something like that. And then after doing that for a couple of months is when I reached out to like these developers I had worked with, and um, they really encouraged me to, you know, pursue it. I signed up for like Treehouse and Code School and all that stuff. I went to a Rails Girls event and Rails Bridge. So that's really how I got started. So Very you nice. modified your employer's website without permission. <laughs> Is this what I'm hearing? <laughs> well, technically I was in charge of it, so it was okay. okay. Um, it might not have been exactly what they were asking for at the time, but <laughs> <laughs> I always reverted it back, so it was okay. That's good. I the mean, the, the just project manager approved it. It was fine. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, I never thought of the power that one person could have if they were the project manager and the developer. Right. <laughs> Did you get in arguments with yourself ever about features? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's good, though. Now that I'm on the other side, I have a lot more respect for kind of the pushback I would get from the developers when I was, you know, I was really like the liaison yeah, liaison between um, like the account managers and the developers. So now I see why they would push back. Yeah, you figured out that the project manager really was wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's so hard to set dates because I guess depending on, you know, where you work, I know where we are, you know, we have dates that we shoot for, but it's really more like about building quality software. So I totally understand that pushback now. Mm. So I'm curious, what do you think you got out of a boot camp that you either couldn't have gotten on your own or by going through a more traditional education? Okay, yeah. So first off, as far as like indirectly to answer your question, the boot camp, um, one of my mentors really just put the boot camp as, you know, I'm kind of trading time for money because he really thought, you know, you could totally do this on your own. You're not in a hurry. You know, do you really want to spend, you know, X amount of dollars to do this? But I just love it and I didn't want to wait. Um, <laughs> as far as the traditional background versus the boot camp, um, same thing there, probably the time. Um, not the most patient person in the world. So the idea, you know, doing something, in my case, for six months was much more appealing than four years. So there's that. And then I think, too, I started a second bachelor's degree. Um, it was just in IT, so it wasn't computer science, but um, just took two classes and saw how behind everything was because I was doing these classes on top of teaching myself through, like, all these different resources. And, you know, you'd ask the like, teachers questions about, you know, the stuff I was doing on my own, and they just really 
didn't have much of an idea about that. So that was kind of disheartening. So you've mentioned mentors a, a couple of times. Um, it sounds <laughs> like you had mentors from before you did boot camps. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you kind of found them and, and how they've been helpful? Yes, I have had a ton of mentors, actually, and I'm extremely grateful for all of them. So the first person was in Savannah, and he did Rails. So he was really the big proponent. You know, like I had said before, I was fooling around with uh, PHP because I was doing like a lot of WordPress. And I guess by mentor, I mean, if I had questions, he'd be available to ask questions. And he'd really just kind of guided me I had no idea about Rails, so he recommended that I go to this Rails bridge workshop. So I actually, from Savannah, drove four hours down to Orlando to go to a Rails bridge workshop there. And then, (laughs) yes, I know. That is dedication. (laughs) That's how, like, hungry I was. Uh, It, like, paid for a hotel, everything. Um, And then uh, at that event, I was able to meet someone who we've been in touch here and there. And then... Um, just at the boot camp is where I met two of my other mentors. So they match you with mentors there and they've been extremely helpful. I guess <laughs> the question I want to ask is if somebody's in the position you were in, how do they identify somebody that can be a mentor for them? You know, for me, I was, I guess, fortunate enough that I didn't really have to ask the question just by going to all these different events and just really expressing how excited I am to learn. People just kind of would give me their email address and say, hey, you know, if you ever have questions, let me know. And I guess, you know, just to kind of grow that relationship was always just respectful of these mentors' time, try to help them out if there was any way I can. So I guess that would be my advice is just to, I guess, express uh, your energy and your passion for it. So you've been doing software for a few years now. So you're, you're past the novice stage, but it sounds like you still, uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned still working with mentors, right? Is that a thing that you imagine you'll continue to do? And would you recommend it for people beyond just barely getting started? Uh, definitely. I don't say, I wouldn't say necessarily that I have formal mentors now. When I started at my job, that was a really big concern of mine um, out of the boot camp is, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for a position like based on money or anything like that. My number one priority in finding a position was somewhere where I would grow and learn um, and where mentorship would be. So the take where I am now is really just like everyone is here to help each other out and mentor where needed. So I don't really have a formal one here, but it's just kind of everyone. Hmm. That's really cool. I've never really thought about, I don't know. There are people I know who I respect and are way smarter than me. Maybe I'll just bug them. <laughs> there's, I, I will say there's definitely people on the team who, who have a little more patience than others and who you can tell kind of enjoy the mentorship, whereas others not so much. So you kind of learn, um, like if we have a happy hour or something like that, you know, it's a good opportunity to talk through things that I might not get a chance to or just at lunch, things like that. Sure. So it sounds like your boot camp was a little different from some of the boot camps because it was a, a not-for-profit one. Can you talk a little bit more about the experience of going to your boot camp? Yeah. Do you want me to talk a little bit? I probably like won't get into specifics, but like about the process of how I picked the boot camp as sure. well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> so the process for picking the boot camp, my husband was really big proponent for this. I, after teaching myself for like a year, a year and a half, I guess he got tired of me like stomping into the other room saying, I have questions and I don't have anyone to ask and, you know, I need help. Um, so he started researching all of these different boot camps and I narrowed it down to a couple that I was interested in and went through the process with one. Like I was saying in the email, I was set to go to one, drove uh, like for two days uh, and got there and just decided that it wasn't going to be as challenging as what I was looking for. I think you have to be extremely selective and talk to the different students. And, you know, because so many of these programs are for profit, you know, you want to check, are they just accepting anyone? Are they limiting their numbers? Do they have, like, tests to get in? 
Uh, like, what is their process for accepting students? And then what is their process when you graduate the boot camp? Because I think that really speaks a lot to it. So the one that I went to, we were planning on staying in the South, and then uh, my husband got relocated. So in the middle of the program, um, and the policy there was if you commit to staying in Tennessee, that you only pay, I think it, I'm not sure if they've changed it now, you only paid a thousand dollars and that's it. So I think that really speaks to the commitment that they have, that they know, you know, that their curriculum is solid enough that they're willing to foot the bill. Whereas others, it might just be money is the bottom line. So that was a big yeah. decision. That, that was a big part of the decision in going there. Another thing that I liked about the one I went to is that it was six months. So a lot of these programs are like 10, 12 weeks. Um, and, and even six months, you know, is limited how you, much you can learn. But, you know, if you're doing this like 10, 12 weeks and you really are nonstop, like you don't have free time. So I think spreading it out over six months is still an extremely hectic schedule, but it's just that much more that you can learn in that time. I don't know how much you can really cram in your brain in 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah. So you said you spent about a year, a year and a half just trying to <laughs> self-teach before you went to a boot camp. And then at the boot camp, you spent six months. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> uh, that, yeah. So <laughs> that's, no, I, I think that's uh, really great. <laughs> yeah. And, I, yeah. and I would definitely recommend that. I'm sure with a lot of other people that have been in boot camps, like I've talked to them, we get emails a lot from our blog, just people Googling around about the schools. And, you know, it's a very appealing thing now because uh, developers are in demand. I think it's like an important distinction between junior and senior level developers who's in demand. I guess it's just it's really important that you do your time before the boot camp. If you don't, I just don't know how much you're going to get out of it. You know, the more you put in before, the more you're going to get out while you're there. It just goes at like a nonstop pace. The program that I was in within like the first two weeks, they actually split us into three groups. Uh, I don't know that they're going to do that from now on, but it just kind of became apparent that there was a gap between the skill sets. So they split us up. And, you know, I just, I wouldn't have wanted to be in one of the other groups because you're just not getting as, you know, pushed as hard. I guess from my figure skating background, I'm just really used to being pushed super hard. And that's what I wanted out of the program. So the more I could do going in, the better. So when they split you up into three groups, did they come <laughs> up with like really pejorative names to make fun of the people who were behind? <laughs> and was that effective? Um, you know, I think for us, so in hindsight, I absolutely love my instructor for both portions. But, uh, he, you know, he was pretty tough. And I think we kind of all banded together. You'd think that it would be a very competitive environment where all these students would be competing against each other. Um, but because the program was, like, really rough, uh, we all just banded together. So uh, I didn't look down on the other people too much, but it definitely was hard, I think, for the other students because you obviously want to be in that top-tier group. I really appreciate your perspective. I think there is a large audience out there of people who think that, hey, I've never programmed in my life. It seems really cool. I'm going to go and roll in a boot camp for 12 weeks, <laughs> and then I'm going to be an amazing programmer. Yes, And yes. these things take time, you know? Yes. And I, I love that you struggled and worked at it for so long before you said, okay, now I'm going to go get professional instruction. And even then, it wasn't just a 12-week thing, you know? Like, it was yeah. a really big investment for you in yeah. time. So that probably just is my personality, a lot of it. Like I said, kind of all goes back to that skating stuff. I'm used to working hard for things and not used to things coming easy. And also, you know, like I had said prior, there's there's kind of like this glamorization of these boot camps, like, you know, it's cool to be in tech now and, you know, I'm going to make all this money and, you know, I'm going to be so in demand. Um, and all that is great, but I think if that's your number one focus, then you're getting into the field for the wrong reasons. I totally agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. So same thing. When I started exploring this stuff on my own, I talked to someone who hires a bunch of developers. He has an agency and was just talking to him about what are the traits that he sees in these developers that are successful. And the one thing that he told me is that 
anyone he hires, um, this is something that they do for fun outside of their job. So not to say that you have to do that, but I have found that all the great developers I meet, they all have side projects and there's really passionate about it. So I, you guys probably saw too, like at the bottom of my email, I have a quote that I like because it's totally true. I, I do this for fun. Whenever I get stumped on something, I remind myself and a mentor is great. He has, you know, reminds me all the time too, you know, you had a career prior, you could go back to that other career if you wanted, but remember you're doing this because you love it and it's fun. So it's like a choice that I made to switch. Can you talk a little bit about the process of finding employment after the boot camp? I've talked with a few people about kind of mentoring and helping people get into development. And the common theme I've heard is that you kind of try and bootstrap them to a state where they can get their first job. And then mm-hmm. they learn, that's when they really start to learn. Yeah. But, but, but getting to the state where you can get your first job is hard. It's kind of a chicken and an egg <laughs> problem. So you need experience and... But you can't get experience if you don't have a job. So how do you make that jump from not being employed as a developer to being employed for the first time? (laughs) So it's a question I get a lot, too, from a lot of different people. So even before I went to the boot camp, I was looking for internships and things like that. There was someone in the town that I was in in Georgia who had, he did a lot of like WordPress development and things like that, and he needed somebody to help tweak CSS on some of the themes. So I started doing that, which is not software development, but you know, it's better than nothing. And I like worked for not very much money, but I didn't care. I was doing it for fun. Just to kind of like get that experience, um, just get comfortable with code. As far as being in the boot camp, so the one that I was at, they have hiring partners, they have a hiring day. I would say, I think there's probably only two people from the cohort that I finish with that don't have jobs, and one of the people isn't pursuing anything. So there's really just one person who didn't. I'm, I'm you know, suspect there's reasons why they haven't. Um, but as far as finding the job, so I was in a different situation as well because I found out that I was going to be relocating somewhere where the boot camp wasn't. So all the networking that you would do in the program really didn't matter for me. So what I did, I was, the boot camp that I did, we did three months of Node and JavaScript and three months of Ruby on Rails. So I had full intentions of doing Rails when I got out because that's what I had played with prior. But I just fell in love with JavaScript while I was there and Node. So You uh, saw the light. <laughs> I was going to say, there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you got to talk with Chuck a little bit more, Amy, because he's still stuck in those dark ages. <laughs> uh, oh, great idea. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so I was just, I was so excited about Node and JavaScript and that whole space. So that was the first three months of the program. So immediately I started, you know, I tried to be kind of active on Twitter. So just started tweeting about the stuff I was learning in Node. And someone from Node School in Baltimore, I noticed that they had followed me. And I was super excited about there being a Node School here. So I reached out to him and we were just talking about like mentoring at the different events once I got there. And I was asking him what companies in the area use Node. And so he put me in touch with where I am now. So that's how I got my job. As far as other jobs, really was just all about networking, all about probably your final project, you know, how technical you make it. I was like bound and determined, even though I really like JavaScript. I had a fair amount of Rails experience going in, so everyone else was doing Rails apps. I was going to build Rails engine because I wanted to be different and I wanted to stand out. So I think like how technical you can make your final project will definitely have a lot to do with where you end up after graduation. It's funny, though, to me how much of this boiled down to the people involved, right? Yes, uh, you- and- yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, when people ask me like how I ended up where I am, I think the number one thing is I'm passionate about it. I seriously love what I'm doing. 
um, maybe to a fault at times. <laughs> Uh, so the passion and that resonates with people and I found that they like want to help when they see how passionate you are because it's exciting and so they want to help you find work and then in the boot camp they definitely do interview prep so the thing that they really drive home with us is to kind of try to be explicit about what you do know and what you don't know. So in our interviews, if there's a question that I'm not sure of, as long as you're honest about it, you know, if you honestly feel this way, my response was usually, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I am so excited to learn. So if you give me a little bit, I'm going to go back and figure it out and I'll come back to you. So that's kind of like the secret I give. And then someone gave me advice too. I think uh, when you hire juniors, you're not hiring a junior to solve big problems. You're hiring a junior knowing that there's going to be training involved. And my boss is, uh, has a good perspective, I think, on the situation. He's big into sports as well, so he kind of creates the analogy for a sports team that you don't want your team full of seniors. You want to have some good incoming freshmen to balance out the team. Yeah, because yeah. the seniors get old and uh, <laughs> die. <laughs> yeah, move on and make plural site courses. Boring. It's like sports. Once they hit about thirty-five, they're pretty much time washed up. Stop faster. talking yeah. about me. I'm stating that age is like fifteen, but <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah. I, I turned thirty-four like three months ago. Well, you're thirty-five. You got, anyway, I was going to say you got eight more months to live. No, I'm thirty-five. It's too late now. It's too late. Yeah, I, I could be president now that I'm washed up. But, so, uh, I have a really vague question that might sure. be hard to answer. Sure. I'm going to ask it anyways. Is there anything that you wished that someone had told you or, or done for you when you were first starting the process or earlier on in the process? It sounds like you're you're pretty driven and you've just done <laughs> a lot to yeah. make it work yourself. But is there anything that could have made it easier along the way? That's a good question. So, I think before the call, we were kind of talking a little bit about the whole women in tech thing. And as much as I don't like to bring it up, because I always thought, um, although figure skater, I was kind of like a tomboy figure skater. I was really into it for like the jumping and, you know, the sport aspect of it. I wasn't really into like the pretty dresses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, I always thought I was like this athletic tomboy. But being in the developer space, I have really realized how girly I am, which has just been <laughs> a bit of a wake-up call. I just never thought that. Um, I guess to answer your question, you know, I don't like to be negative. I always try to keep it positive, but there definitely is a little bit in the community that I wish maybe I would have been prepared for. I've talked to other graduates from the boot camp and uh, just some kind of sometimes like the jokes that go around and stuff like that. You're just kind of like, Ugh, you know, I, I wish somebody sure. would have like, maybe prepped me for this or, <laughs> you know, that. What do you mean? But, I mean, it really just depends where you work. You know, I'm sure that it's different for different people, but it's just been kind of like a little sad here and there talking to other people and hearing like the jokes that go around and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of yuck. <laughs> um, so, are you talking about like the what do you what would you say like just piggish jokes <laughs> or things that are specific to coding? Uh, like, no, no. I, yeah, just like piggish type stuff. So, no, I've been fortunate enough that I haven't like personally experienced anything towards me, but just kind of stuff like here and there. I'm just like, man, I'll come home sometimes and. uh tell my husband, I'm like, man, like, you know, if you work with all dudes, would you talk like that? <laughs> um, so I just think it's kind of, you know, not used to having a lot of girls around. I guess I'm trying to think if there's any, like, programming-related things to kind of turn away from that since I don't like to dwell on it too much. <laughs> that I, I, I think it's really valuable to raise, though. I mean, I can tell you're uncomfortable talking about it, but I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. It does suck that it's something you have to be prepped for instead of something that can change. I don't know. It's just sad to hear that, but I don't know what to do about it. It's getting better. I think it's definitely getting better. Probably I'll just take time. <laughs> uh, yeah, there I go, trying to <laughs> be positive about it all. Sure. Uh, let, let us swiftly change the subject, though. <laughs> any, any programming-related things do you think would be make it easier? Yeah, like what do you think about closures? 
(laughs) (laughs) Smooth. (laughs) So that's, I love JavaScript. Like, I think in my interview, they asked me, you know, why, why do you want to do JavaScript? And that actually came up as one of the reasons. Like, I love how different the language is and the power that it brings. So I think they all looked at me when I was talking about, like, invented programming callbacks, like, are you crazy? Why do you like this? <laughs> so wait a minute. You came out of a boot camp, and in your first interview, they said, what do you like? And you said, closures. Because most boot camp graduates I know, I ask them that same question in interview prep. And I'm like, what's a closure? And they're like, dang it, I can't remember. See, so the company that I worked at, or the company that I'm working at, it was like a three-step interview process. And I remember the first interview was a phone screen. So when I hear phone screen, I think, oh, you know, they're just going to kind of ask me about my personality. Um, It's really not going to get technical. And the first question out of my boss's mouth was to explain the prototype chain. So luckily, I like obsess about this kind of stuff. So I was prepared to answer the question and have watched a really a lot of really good videos about it. So I felt like I really understood it pretty well. So that kind of we're kind of I'm kind of going away from the question that you asked, but it really depends too, I guess, where you work, uh, how technical it's going to get. But as far as like JavaScript, yeah, I just really liked how different it was. So do you find that there are any barriers that you run into just being a newish person in programming? Uh, I think we get kind of far removed from that and we don't remember. Yeah, so I guess back to the technical question we were talking about, um, stuff that I could have better prepared for. One thing that I know personally that I could have better prepared for is being more patient with myself. I think that maybe somebody from a traditional background has had four years of being patient with themselves. <laughs> um, whereas a lot of these people coming out of boot camps like myself, this is a career change. And I think the personality that it takes to go into a boot camp is like you're extremely driven. So a lot of people like myself, super driven. And it's hard to kind of start from the bottom and have to be patient and just ride out the process of learning because there's only so much you can force in your head at once. And it's not really something that you can memorize. It's a way of thinking. So that's what I would have wanted to prep myself mentally for uh, just the challenge of it and the, you know, the patience it was going to take. So I want to ask a little bit about interviews, too. I feel like interviews are just generally (laughs) terrible at, at identifying people who would be good at working. Did you look at the interview prep as kind of a hoop you had to jump through or how, how did the boot camp interview prep work? I mean, did they, did they spill the secret that like interviews suck and everyone hates <laughs> them and people just do them anyways or? They definitely did a ton of interview prep. And I think what we learned is it's just really going to be different for each company. So a lot of companies, it seemed like we're moving towards um, a technical interview where they give you a project and you do it on your own and you come back to them with a week and show them what you did. The interview process that I had was all speaking and whiteboard, which was pretty terrifying. (laughs) Wasn't Um, it the best? (laughs) Use your whiteboard editor that you always use. The best form of torture. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you know that thing, Google, that you use every day, all day for your job? Can't use that. (laughs) <laughs> I can remember walking into the room. It's actually where I'm sitting right now for this call. <laughs> and the receptionist put like four dry erase markers on the desk and my heart just sunk. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I survived. It, it was a three-hour process, too. I interviewed oh, with five different people. <laughs> no, six different people. It's like a panel of two for every hour. (laughs) But anyways, back to the interview process for school and prepping for it. There was a guy who's a mentor for the school who uh, I went out to lunch with another student and he just grilled us. Um, So that was great. He definitely, uh, he was pretty rough, but I'm glad that I had that because he prepped me for it. I think it, it really does just all go back to, you know, the networking aspect of it and being active on GitHub so that they can see the work that you've done prior. You know, I, I think once you get to the actual interview process, it's either it's kind of a done deal and it's yours to lose is kind of the way I feel about it, especially if you're on like a second interview. Oh. <laughs> and there's really there's only so much prep you can do. The prep that I did was just, uh, like I had said prior, to know what I know and know what I don't know or, or try to know what I don't know. 
you know, there's only so much that you can get ready for. So I'm kind of curious. Jameson has been saying, you know, interviews are horrible, and I mostly agree. I mean, there's there's only so much you can glean from the interview, and most of it, you walk away, you either feel good about it or you don't, and then you justify that with whatever happened in the interview. <laughs> Is there a better way? Um, I, I'm asking in general, but I'd love your opinion, too. <laughs> Thank you, Siri. And, Shut up. And the answer from Siri is? Yeah. No. <laughs> Siri, I, what's the better way? I really want to hear everyone else's answer to this question, but I can try to give my answer quick. I think, <laughs> I think the process of like giving the students a project to do on their own and come back and present that is really good, or talk through code that you've written. I think the in-person stuff is, uh, you could have a great developer who just doesn't do well under pressure like that, so that's probably not the best format, and that's really my thought. <laughs> yeah, I mostly agree. I think you need some in-person stuff, because some people, yeah. no matter how good they are, you just don't want to work with them anyway, <laughs> and so you've got you to figure that out, smell. right? You, you have to smell, smell them. Well, you have to know how, how how they smell and how far away from you they're going to sit. But yeah. those two things are very important. But like small meetings in a com- little conference room, doesn't matter how far away they sit, it gets to you. But I mean, the other the other issue there is that you run into problems where they have personality things, or they have certain ways of working with other people or dealing with other people. And so if you have them in your office for a few hours, long enough for them to kind of let their hair down and just relax, uh, you'll start to figure out, okay, this guy's kind of condescending, or this guy <laughs> is a cowboy coder. You know, he's, he's paired with us for two hours, and he commits garbage, and then goes and cleans yeah. it up. Or, yeah, one of the things you should always do is argue with them about something, and then see how they are dealing with conflicts. It's a good idea. Yeah. The other thing that came to mind when you were talking about some of your interview process was that when I was a hiring manager, I was hiring for tech support over the phone. I wasn't hiring for programming, but I would push people to the point where their knowledge failed and then see what they did. Uh, yeah. And yeah. The, the reason is, is because you don't want that jerk going in and screwing something up for somebody. I mean, we were talking online backup. So if you jacked up somebody's backup uh, problems. So just making sure that they weren't going to go in and ignorantly do something dumb, even if they were really good at everything else. So one of my very close friends, who is a developer that I admire very much, has developed a process for his interviewing as a candidate where he actually asks the employer if they will let him pair program with a member of their team for one afternoon. So far, he's done it to two companies, and both of them have been like, Whoa, like what? <laughs> you want to like work with us for an afternoon? You know, he's like, yeah, I want to take, I want to take a day off my job, my regular job and come work with you. And, um, for him, it's been really eye opening because it's like, now I know what it's actually like to work with you. I can see your code base. You know, I know what it looks like and I know how you work, um, as a candidate. But I think employers should start getting in that habit for their candidates as well. Like if we're going to get really serious about hiring quality people who will work with us on our team, it sure would be great to spend an afternoon with them if they're willing to take the time. But, you know, you still have the problem of, oh, it's an interview, so people are going to be stressed out and nervous. Make it more like dating, less like marriage. Oh, yeah, because dating is also very (laughs) stress-free. Yeah, (laughs) stress-free, relaxed, no communication problems. Right. Anyway, I love that strategy, and um, I try to replicate that in the interviews we do for candidates. Um, I try to really put candidates at ease and tell them, hey, this is just as much about you seeing what I work or how I work as it is about us seeing how you work. So I try, and I know it's not possible, but I try to put them at ease so that they know that I'm on trial just as much as they are. I really like that idea. I think I've heard that in the past, maybe not so much for a junior, but um, like a mid-level or senior is to ask to pair programs so that you can see the code base to make sure you're not uh, stepping into danger zone. (laughs) That was how we did interviews at my last job, and I really liked it. There was an interview to see if they were nice and then pair with the team for a day. And I think it worked pretty well. It still has some weaknesses, but I liked it much better than other things I've done in the past. Jameson, did you find that candidates were willing to take a day off and come work with you? They were. Yeah, I was surprised. (laughs) We didn't find anyone that we liked enough to ask to pair with the team that didn't pair with the team. I I think you might run the risk of losing some people that are just so in demand that they, they can't spend the time. 
And I don't know what you would do in that case. It's a good way to filter out the tire kickers, too. What do you mean? I don't even know what a tire kicker is. A tire kicker is somebody (laughs) who looks at a car and kicks the tires but doesn't ever want to buy it. Oh, so it's people that aren't actually looking to... Yeah, they aren't really that serious. Because they're masochists and they like whiteboards or something? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they could be fishing for a raise at their old job, or they may not be very serious about your particular company. Yeah. So, confession time. I actually, the first... (laughs) I love that preface. (laughs) So I was at BYU, and I was just kind of feeling like school is not really for me, not in this kind of fashion. And so I went and looked on Craigslist, of all places, for programming jobs. I think I might have just been looking at different places in general, but I found a listing on Craigslist for a company that was hiring a junior developer for Ruby, and Ruby is what I was learning at the time. And so I called them up, and and I passed their little three-question phone interview, and so they brought me in for a real interview. And I, at the time, I didn't have any intention of leaving school. I was just kind of testing the water to see, like, is it realistic for me to be able to get a job as a junior developer without having completed college? And so I went through that interview process and got to the point where they're like, well, we like you. Let's talk about when you could work for us. And then I was like, well, actually... And I did feel kind of like a douchebag, but it was an important step in my own personal progress of, you know, finding out that this is something I could do on my own. Hmm. Sorry, I had to step away for a second. Are we talking about whether or not you should get a four-year degree? Nope. Nope, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Here goes the question. Yes, let's go with that question. Why why do four-year degrees suck? Go. (laughs) I think Amy already got one, basically. (laughs) She just did it in two years. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. So in my case, I spent so much of my life skating that unfortunately college was like, oh, that's just the next logical step. And I had a lot yeah. of intentions. Yeah, I had a lot of intentions on uh, just coaching the rest of my life. I coached all through college. I worked a lot of hours through college. I didn't go away to college. I lived at home and worked and did that sort of thing. And I had a scholarship, which was great, but it also, I had to keep a really high GPA. If I made a B, I lost my scholarship. So it kind of discouraged me from taking harder classes um, because I thought, okay, it's better to have a degree than no degree and or, or debt or things like that. But probably after working a year, I quickly realized that that wasn't really the greatest decision. <laughs> so, you know, I, I tried to make the most of it, you know, with the jobs I had. And then uh, when I met my husband, we talked about uh, me going back to school because, you know, we, we kind of were in a place where I could and just really wanted like, more fulfillment in life. Like skating was my passion all my life and uh, was looking for something else. So I thought, oh, I really enjoy exercise. I'm going to do physical therapy. So I started that for about a year, quickly realized I really enjoyed the science aspect of it, but did not like the patient care aspect of it. Um, and that's when I spent kind of a year, year and a half of like soul searching a little bit and fell back into programming. So that four year degree really didn't do a whole lot, but still just because I think like that's what, you know, college is a step before a career. So what do I do after I decide to start programming again is I, I look at colleges and started back on that track. And then the college I was at, I took two courses. Uh, the first course was DHTML. <laughs> and I'm, this was 2012. So, <laughs> not Whoa, that. whoops. That was the name of a joke conference. Put on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's the year 2000. <laughs> Did you also make a, uh, take a course called Notepad? <laughs> uh, I think that was the recommended editor. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, and, and like I had said earlier, I was really discouraged because here I'm like this super energetic student who is like driving four hours to go to Rails Bridge and, and asking my teachers these questions and they're just like, well, I, I don't know, here's a link to research. I'm like, you know, you think I, I don't know how to Google stuff myself. <laughs> um, and not only any- that, but it's a link to like some 1980s website. Yes, yes. yes. Written so- in DHTML. <laughs> so Written in COBOL on cogs. <laughs> and that's not to say that some degrees, degrees are different than others. Um, the program that I was at, the Rails portion is led by someone named Eliza Brock. And she... Um, oh, she's awesome. 
Yeah, she recommended, if I was still interested in doing the CS degree, to look at different schools that are accredited. Um, because I, I, you know, not all computer science programs are accredited. And because I'm like so driven and I also just want to be the best that I can be, you know, I really want to do the boot camp and the computer science degree. But just the more people I talk to in the industry have kind of discouraged me from doing it. They're just saying it's not necessary that I can, I can learn it on my own. So at this time, I'm not pursuing the CS degree. But yeah, that, that initial four-year degree, not really worth anything except the piece of paper and saying that you have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> so counterpoint, now, Jameson, you actually learned stuff in school, didn't you? <laughs> I learned some stuff, but I was not a self-starter, I guess is a nice way to put it. <laughs> in high school, my goal was to not go to high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, I did it. I did real good. I didn't. So you were on the right track at the start. Yeah, but the goal was instead of going to high school, I would sit at home and do nothing. And I also oh, nailed that. No. So school nailed for it. me was, was, yeah, was kind of a kick in the butt that, hey, like your brain is important and it's important to do things that provide value to you. Because if I didn't go to school, I would be working at McDonald's right now. And I want Dave to say nailed it. <laughs> didn't nail it oh no Fa failed it failed it yeah <laughs> failed that. so for me it was just like it's nice to be educated and to know stuff <laughs> and you can actually do cool things in life if you have access to skills so jameson did you go to a four-year college i did yeah well it took me more than four years but I, it was <laughs> that's my story college. too <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah four-year four college got a six is year like an way I'll offer another counterpoint also. I, you know, when I was 18, I went to college and I, I did do computer science, although I didn't do start computer science until my second year of college. And I absolutely loved it. It was mind expanding. Um, I loved my general education classes, my non computer science classes. I loved my computer science classes and it was wonderful. But anybody who I talk to who has been already working in their profession that's not programming and is looking at getting into programming, I don't recommend to any of them to go get a four-year degree in computer science to begin. I but if you're that. an 18-year-old that's looking at options, I think I still am pretty well convinced that a four-year degree in computer science, if you want to be a programmer, is really a great way to go. I almost don't care what your degree is in, because as Amy has showed us, you can uh, self-teach and go to quick boot camps to learn, but I think college is just an awesome experience. One thing I didn't even mention, but it's also really valuable, is the social experience you get while you're there. I mean, the friendships and the relationships I made while I was in college, you know, we're all like in this fiery furnace of affliction together. Those <laughs> bonds are still strong and really meaningful and valuable to me now. But I don't, I know I couldn't relive that today. So if I wanted to go back and become an accountant, I, oh, well, maybe that's not a good example, but um, I don't think I could go to a four year school again at my age and, and have the same experience and outcome that I had when I was young. I want to chime in on this so too. Um, I have a four-year degree. My degree is in computer engineering, not computer science, which means that I took computer science classes and I took electrical engineering classes. And when I went to school, I had done electronics in high school, so I thought electrical engineering, that's fun, that's cool. And I didn't really figure out what I wanted to do. I worked in IT while I was in college, finished my degree in computer engineering just because the computer science classes were fun, but some of the computer science classes looked kind of dumb, so I kind of straddled the fence. I graduated, I got a job doing tech support, and I thought that's where I was going to go. Wound up in management, thought that was the thing. And then I, and so I'd done serious programming for college, but it wasn't until I had been out in the workforce for about a year and a half that I picked up a programming project for my work because they wouldn't pay for the software we needed, so we started building it in Ruby on Rails. That's when I figured out, oh, this is really fun, and this is really where I want to be. So I had the technical background, but I didn't actually go there for a career until then. But I still learned a lot in college. And yeah, as Dave said, I, I went when I was 18. I graduated when I was 26. I did take two years off for uh, a church mission, but for the experience and figuring out what you want to do and, you know, having some time where you don't have to, you know, be serious and, you know, support you know, a husband or wife and kids, if you, if you have them, you know, that was fun and that was nice and it was a good experience, but I'm with Dave on this. If you've got a degree in something else and you want to just kind of pick this up, then yeah, I would go at it a different way. 
I also want to point out that when I was working at the university in IT, I worked a lot with the programmers. And I would say about half of the programmers in the different various groups that I worked in had law degrees. So, I mean, there really is no wrong background for this if you're interested in it. I think the things I learned in school that are helpful to my, my career were all kind of incidental and, and not learned directly as part of the curriculum. The things that I learned in the curriculum are cool if you are interested in like the science of computer science, which I am. I think it's fascinating. You don't use but, Big O on a regular basis at your job? Well, I do I now since I saw Dave Smith's topic. <laughs> he just gave a talk about Big O. Nailed it! Nailed well, it. I just remember you being really interested in like machine learning, and you didn't you start some sort of like uh, papers discussion group for a while? Yeah, yeah, that lasted a I couple mean, months. But you, guess well, how many times always... I've used that at work? Zero. <laughs> I mean, there are careers where you need it. And, but it and was it's... enjoyable, right? Like it added to the art of programming. Yeah, which yeah I think exactly. Is, like a big part of what we've been talking about is more the art. Like it's fun. It's what I love. Not just like I need it for this at work. Yeah, but there's yeah. a lot of other aspects to the art of programming that aren't covered. Like data structures and algorithms is just one little tiny piece. Test-driven development and agile and None of that's uh, software craftsmanship. That's that's not curriculum at most universities. Yeah, no. yeah. You yeah. have self-teach anyway. I was going to say Jameson started a group on it. So if that's <clears> what cranks your engine, go look it up on the internet. <laughs> so I, I guess my point is that it it wasn't directly useful for work, but it was useful for just intellectual stimulation in general. Right. Okay. I had an interesting experience where I spent like three or four months studying data structures and algorithms to prepare for an interview at Google, and it was very useful in my interview for Google. And I've essentially not really used it. Since before or since, I didn't really know data structures and algorithms particularly well beforehand, and since then I haven't particularly used it much. You know, occasionally in a rare case, but the classics of computer science don't always have applications to when you're just working at a small company building a small website that isn't going to have, you know, you're not building a framework for millions of people to use. I think for me, in a perfect world, when you guys were talking earlier about, you know, if you're looking at an 18-year-old and giving them advice, then yes, like, if I would have known what I know now, I definitely would have done computer science. And then maybe, too, I would have gone to the boot camp for, you know, another six months after, you know, to learn kind of more in-demand language, like, you know, start learning JavaScript or something. I think, like, a lot of students had experience in that that I've talked to from a CS degree. But, yeah, in a perfect world, I would totally do both. Awesome. Well, gotta invent that time machine. <laughs> well, I'm getting prodded in the chat room. It looks like we're about out of time. So, uh, let's put a semicolon on this part of the podcast and get to fix. <laughs> Semicolons are optional, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> They're automatically inserted, actually. Um, <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jameson, do you want to start us off with picks? I have many picks. One pick is an article about cockroaches with backpacks. Which is fascinating. They, it's on, it was on some NPR blog. Apparently, researchers have been controlling cockroaches with electrodes for decades now. They put electrodes in part of their nervous system. They administer electricity, and it makes the cockroach move left or right. Someone Hashtag hooked up a video. NSA. Yeah, no, it gets better. Someone hooked up a video game controller to it, so they're controlling this cockroach with like a oh PlayStation my. controller. Then. They glue backpacks onto the cockroaches so they can attach sensors to them or like cargo to deliver payloads. Just imagine this army of remote controlled cockroaches like moving through a disaster site with cameras or, uh, or like bring me my yellow Lego piece. That exactly. I yeah. Yeah. It, maybe it'll Is be this something new... that like Amazon's pioneering to get your packages to you? I think it's going to be the <laughs> new like over the top startup perk. Like we'll deliver. That's a different kind of drone with cockroaches or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. I'll be so glad when those foosball billboards go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that's one of my picks. It just made me sit and think and giggle like a little child. <laughs> my other pick is a book called Event Driven. It's a book on organizing conferences. Now that I say this, I may have picked this recently. So I'm going to go on to the next ones. It's really good. The next pick is a blog post called The Hiring Post by some guy that's famous on Hacker News. I don't know exactly what he does, except write a lot of long comments to get a lot of upvotes, but he sounds pretty smart. And his post goes into detail on this hiring process that is pretty different from ones that I've experienced or implemented. 
It's focused a lot more around the coding tests that Amy mentioned a little bit, or coding projects, but doing them in kind of a, a repeatable and quantifiable way. So you take the fuzziness and, and human-like gut feeling that's subject to a lot of bias out of the equation. Uh, and then my last pick is a blog post on argument cultures and how developers sometimes argue for the sake of arguing or value argument over much as a way to make decisions. And it looks at kind of the some of the downsides of that because we kind of take for granted that it's valuable to expose ideas to criticism. Uh, so we, we take the upsides for granted, but I haven't ever really thought about the things that you lose by that culture. Is that that blog post where they tell the story about how you if, imagine wrestling with a pig and after a while, you begin to realize that the pig enjoys it. The pig That's what enjoys it's like it. to argue yep. with the developer. It quotes that. I don't think it invented that story. Right. But yeah, it's really good. All right, Dave, all. what are your picks? I have two picks for you today. The first one is an Ajax library called Axios, which I may have also picked before. Like, Jameson might have double-picked. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just same, the two thumbs same up instead days. of the one thumbs up. Yeah, right. So double-pick. Anyway, so it's Axios, written by my friend Matt Zabriskie, and we put it into production a few weeks ago on one of our applications at work, and we like it. It's pretty cool. The other one is a book, recently made into a movie, called Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand. This book really opened my mind to, I don't know, I'll just have to leave it at that. It opened my mind. And I what was in there? <laughs> well, my mind opened and all the crap fell out, so I can't remember. But basically... <laughs> It's a book about uh, World War II, prisoner of war, who was captured by the Japanese military. And he's an American soldier, actually an airman. And his what he endured, um, both leading up to his capture and while he was captured and uh, how he coped with it. And um, it was really inspiring and also really heavy. So just as a word of warning, it is pretty intense. But it's something that I think changed me a little bit. So anyway, I can recommend it if you want to be changed. So those are my picks. Awesome. AJ, what are your picks? Sometimes when it's early in the morning, like, you know, 10 o'clock, and your brain's not quite on yet because you just woke up, you need a little something to kickstart your day before you're ready to fully focus. And for that, I use Good Mythical Morning. Good Mythical Morning is a product by Rhett and Link that is guaranteed to invigorate the mind, soul, and body, and I recommend that you take at least two before starting your day as well. In addition to that, I recently watched a Majora's Mask live-action little 15-minute video. It's a, what do you call those things? I forget the name of the, like, subculture group. But anyway, if you're into, you know, Zelda, it's kind of a cool video that explains the background of, like, how Skull Kid got the mask in the first place. Just kind of neat and fun. And no, no, no actual noteworthy picks today. Sorry. Still, All right. still bad on that. Joe, what are your picks? <laughs> I should pick AJ. I should just pick AJ's picks. <laughs> <laughs> My first pick is going to be the venue that NG Vegas is being held at. I've been organizing NG Vegas for a while now. And one of the things that I love about it is just how awesome the venue is because it's not a stupid Vegas casino. It's this like resort on Lake Las Vegas with a private beach and paddle boards and kayaks and two swimming pools and a slide. And it's just like a really awesome place to go on vacation. I went and stayed there for a little while with my family on the way down to California once. And so I've been there a couple of times. It's the Westin at Lake Las Vegas. So it's just a super place to go if you go to Vegas. If you don't want to be on the strip in some seedy casino and have horrible things handed to you as you walk up and down the strip, but you want to go someplace warm and fun, it's an awesome place. And paddle, it was the first time I've ever been paddle boarding, and that was super awesome. So that'll be my first pick is the Western at Lake Las Vegas. My second pick, I this last weekend, I went on for three days to SaltCon, which is a board gaming convention. Spent... 15, 16 hours a day playing board games with friends and my wife, and it was awesome. And we played this game called Alchemists. That's plural, not alchemist, singular. They're to two totally different board games. But it was like an awesome game because, you know, if you've played games where you have alchemy in them, it's like kind of similar concepts to mixing things to make potions, but it's a little bit like Clue. You're trying to figure out what things are, and you have these positive and negative charges and different colors, and you have to figure out so it's kind of like Clue mixed with, I don't know, something a little fantasy. And it just really appealed to the scientific part of my brain. And it was also super fun and a great, just a great game. So that'll be my second pick. And finally, my third pick is going to be a 
presentation skills trainer named Valerie Kittrell. She helps people give better talks. That's her job. Is, is she's a consultant that will help you. If you're giving a talk, she will help you give a better talk and do better at your presentations from everything from the content and the pacing and your enunciation to where you stand on the stage and how you should move and how you should move your arms and your facial expressions and how you should get on the stage and get off the stage and all that. She was absolutely awesome. I used her for a keynote that I gave last year, and I used her again when my daughter spoke at NGConf, and she's just absolutely fantastic. And it took me forever to try to find somebody to help with that, so I was really pleased when I did find her and that she was so effective. So that'll be my third and final pick. Awesome. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw out a couple of picks. The first one is I've kind of gotten hooked on these books by Ursula K. Le Guin. The first one is it's called The Wizard of Earthsea. The second one's The Tombs of Atuan. I think I probably picked both of those on the show before. Um, I'm reading the third book. It's called The Farthest Shore, and it is awesome. Really enjoying that. And then I read another book called Traction. I don't know if I picked this on the show before either, but it's a book about just kind of gaining speed and momentum as you start a business. I know that some people uh, listening to this call are kind of into that. So I'll go ahead and pick that. And uh, finally, we do a freelancer's Q&A if you're looking at going freelance for the freelancer show every month. The next one is going to be the day that this one is released. No, I take it back. It's the day before this one is released. So uh, never mind about that. But if you want to be emailed about when they are, then you can go to freelancersanswers.com and check it out. And finally, my last pick is Drip. You can find it at getdrip.com. It's an email campaign management system, and it is awesome. It's put together by Rob Walling, who put together hittail.com. And I can't really explain how awesome it is. It's like MailChimp, except it actually works and is cool. Um, <laughs> that was well, more so, of a sick burn on MailChimp. I, I take it back. So MailChimp works, but GetDrip is easy to use. That That's the better way to say it. And it manages uh, drip campaigns and things like that. And uh, I've actually set up all the automation, so you should be able to get emailed when we have a new episode out. So if you want to get those emails, you can go to devchat.tv or javascriptjabber.com. And at the top, you'll see a place to enter your email address. And we're just emailing out episodes. If we're doing any kind of special events, like uh, selling t-shirts or anything like that, then we will probably email that list too but I'm going to keep it 99.999% episodes and then just email you if it's something that I think you're interested in. So anyway, those are my picks. Amy, what are your picks? So the first one I have, um, I listen to a bunch of different podcasts, Ruby Rogues included. So I think that this one has been picked on Ruby Rogues, but I wanted to share it on this one in case there's not an overlap. Um, but it's uh, from Brandon Hayes. It's a letter to an aspiring developer. Uh, I read it probably like two weeks before I graduated from the boot camp, and there's tons of these different articles floating around, um, but this one just had, uh, above all the others I read, probably the best advice I thought. So um, that is my first one. The second one, I want to share what we've been working on at work <laughs> because I am proud of what I've been doing here and proud of uh, what our team's been doing. But like I said before, I work at a company called Message Systems, um, and we have been working on uh, moving our product into the cloud. So it's called SparkPost, so you can go to uh, sparkpost.com. I'll give a link. So that's my second pick. And then the third pick, I can't go without, um, I have the figure skating background, without picking exercise and physical activity. Hopefully that is not taken too harshly. It's maybe not the most favorite thing in the programming community, but I love it. And I think, you know, even if it's ping pong, any sort of physical activity is good. <laughs> so that is it. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Amy. It was fun to talk. It was definitely an interesting discussion to have and uh best of luck in your career thank you i really appreciate it guys i had a great time yeah thank you so much this is fascinating yeah, that was <laughs> awesome. all right well let's wrap this up we'll catch y'all next week have you noticed that a lot of developers always land the job they interview for are you worried that someone else just landed your dream job john sonmez can show you how to do this with the course how to market yourself as a software developer Go to devcareerboost.com and sign up using the code JJABBER to get $100 off. This episode is sponsored by React Week. 
React Week is the first week-long workshop dedicated entirely to learning how to build applications in React.js. Because React is just the V in MVC, you'll also learn how to build full applications around React with the Flux architecture, React Router, Webpack, and Firebase. Don't miss this opportunity to learn React.js from Ryan Florence, one of the industry's leading React developers. If you can't make it out to Utah, they're also offering a React Week online ticket. Go check it out at reactweek.com. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at JavaScriptJabber.com slash Jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.